Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll tell you briefly about the plans for Pope Francis's packed trip to Iraq next month. Up next, the Pope has finally given a woman a voting position in the Synod of Bishops. We'll talk about this long-awaited milestone and what could come next. Finally, Pope Francis gave his major address to the world's ambassadors to the Vatican. We'll let you know what he said and why it's important. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from the gray skies and rainy skies of Rome, Colleen. <laughs> I'm sorry that it's a, a rainy day, but hey, thanks for uh, thanks for pushing back our recording by a day. I I was out sick yesterday, so that's why our listeners are getting this show a day later than usual. Well, I'm happy you're better and that we're back today. Yeah, certainly. All right, Jerry. So uh, the first big story to talk about this week is that uh, Pope Francis has officially confirmed that he is going to Iraq next month, and you're going too, right? Yes, uh, I will be traveling with him. Uh, I think we've about including the Vatican media, there were 75 journalists and about, I think, 35 in the entourage of the Pope, which means not just the clerics who will be assisting him, but also the Swiss guards and the Vatican gendarmerie, the security. How does that stack up with the number who usually go? Yeah, it's obviously we'll be in a big plane because we have to be socially distanced and there are a lot of television cameras. I think it's roughly par for the course. Mm -hmm. And the schedule is pretty much par for the course too, right? It looks really, really busy. There's a lot of flights and helicopter rides even between cities. Uh, it's it's a pretty packed schedule. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to use the word, but it's a killer trip. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. I, I count we will move around inside Iraq on five different planes and two military helicopters. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of time in the air between when we leave Rome and when we on the 5th, the morning of the 5th of March, and return to Rome in the afternoon of the 8th of March. Yeah, I'm sure that we're going to hear a lot more about uh, kind of the safety precautions, and you and I will talk more in depth about the schedule soon. Um, but since you're going, that also means that you have now been vaccinated, right? Yes, we, we all, all those traveling with the Pope have, have, will have been vaccinated. He's had his second vaccination already. And uh, it, the, the problem is, is that they start vaccinating people in Iraq at the beginning of March, more or mm -hmm. less when we arrive. And uh, in recent days, they've had uh, 1,700 cases a day, new cases. Oh, wow. So uh, the the Pope has made clear that uh, the only thing that will block him is not the security concern that somebody might take him out in the visit, but rather the COVID concern that people would get infected and suffer as a result because of the COVID. 
Right. He's talked about how, you know, he would even go there even if everything has to be broadcast. There can't be any crowds or anything. So, again, uh, we'll we'll keep our listeners updated on on what those restrictions are going to look like and kind of a better idea of what the trip will look like once we have it. So for our first big discussion this week, we want to talk about how on February 6th, Sister Natalie Bacar was named Undersecretary to the Synod of Bishops. She's the first woman to hold this position, and that means that she's expected to be the first woman who's able to vote in the Synod of Bishops. Now, Jerry, uh, for our listeners, you know, I know that we talk once every couple of years about a synod, right? A big gathering of bishops in the Vatican uh, to focus on one theme or another. So we've talked about the Young Adult Synod. We've talked about the Synod on the Family, the Synod on the Amazon. Um, What does it mean to be given a permanent position in the Synod of Bishops? Well, first of all, I I think it's important that our listeners understand that the Synod is becoming a, a more and more important institution in the Church. It was started in the wake of the Second Vatican Council. They asked for it, and Paul VI started it. And uh, it's now more than 50 years old, and those who have up to now held real positions of responsibility in what is called the Secretariat of the Senate have usually been an archbishop and a bishop. Mm-hmm. But in uh, about two years ago, Francis changed the constitution of the synod. He changed the the rules that govern it. And there he said, yes, the the secretary general has to be a bishop, but he let it open that the undersecretaries could be lay people. At that time, people didn't pick up uh, sufficiently on this. Uh, He had opened the door already for the possibility of a lay man and therefore also of a lay woman becoming the undersecretary. And now, following on his own public commitment to give women positions in the Vatican in all positions which does not require the person to have sacred orders, he is moving. So, Jerry, really briefly, how does the Secretariat of the Synod relate to these synods that we see every couple of years? The Secretariat of the Synod is really the hub of the operation. It organizes, it uh, works out the schedule, it relates to the bishops' conferences in different countries, and it it relates directly to the Pope. It doesn't go through the Secretariat of State. They relate directly to the Pope. Now, the Pope has made Sister Natalie, he has made her the first woman uh, undersecretary. And this, it automatically brings with it the possibility of voting, and because she will be a full member of the Senate, not an invited member, she's full member of the Senate. So, Jerry, let's talk for a second about uh, who Sister Natalie Bacar is. What can you tell me about her? Well, she was born in France and she studied in Paris. She studied, in fact, if you look at her curriculum vitae, you will see that there is a strong Jesuit link throughout it. She's been greatly influenced by the Jesuits. I did know that she studied at, at Boston College. In fact, she studied with a few of my friends there who all say that she's just the sweetest person. Yes, but she studied in Paris at the Centre Sever, which is the Jesuit Institute for Philosophy and Theology. It's very, very prestigious and brings in people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So she, she has, first of all, an international experience in Paris. She also uh, did 
higher studies in, in management, and she also did uh, another high degree in sociology. She is highly qualified, this woman. And then there's also a, a strong thread of, of actually synodality in her, in her CV, right? She, she studied synodality at Boston College, and she's been involved in the Synod of Bishops before. It's also interesting that the other undersecretary, there are two, he's, he's a an Augustinian priest, and he will become a bishop, Father Marine. He did his doctoral thesis on ecclesiology, that's the teaching of the church, of John the Twenty-Third. So here you have two people who are really deep in the theology of the Second Vatican Council, as is, of course, the Cardinal Grech, who is the uh, the Secretary General. I think it's also important to remember that Sister Natalie uh, participated and was very active in the Synod on Young People. We should also mention that uh, Sister Natalie was actually one of the first women who was appointed as a consultor to the Synod of Bishops after after the Synod on Young People. So that was in 2019. So she's really been intimately involved in this process before. She, she, she knows the, the Synod process. The, and in fact, the Cardinal said, you know, uh, and she herself has said in an interview, she sa- said, you know, I, we already know each other. So they're on the same page, Colleen, as far as I can understand. But she's really, she's pioneering, opening up the whole synodal structure for women. And it was significant that the cardinal, in speaking about this, and he said, this opens a door, and uh, we have to see, and it opens new horizons, and we have to see where this takes us. Really, it's it's an indication that there's a lot of discussion going on here in Rome that doesn't reach the papers about you know how uh, how we have to open up more to women in 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 the synod. Now, Francis has been very clear-minded in opting that the next synod, the one in October 2022, will focus on synodality. He wants the bishops of the world to understand well this and then to begin to implement it in the bishops' conferences. We've spoken in the past about the what is happening in the American Bishops' Conference, for example. It's clear that synodality is not yet at work there. Jerry, you know, I feel like we have said the word synod and synodality about a million times during this story. So maybe it'd be helpful at this point for us to zoom out for a second and just define, like, what is synodality? Well, what it means, basically, is when the bishops come together, they try, the Pope has explained very clearly to them, you sit, you listen first. It's a process of listening. You don't listen with saying, ah, I've got an answer to what he said and I've got an answer. You listen with an open mind as far as possible, an open heart. Then you express yourself freely. The Pope says with using the Greek word parousia, which means really speak frankly, speak boldly, really say what is in your heart. Don't say what you think the Pope who is present would like to hear or some of the bishops would like to hear. The aim is to remove what is often, so often the case in meetings of conferences of bishops, etc., where a group comes in with an ideological position and they push it through. No, no. Here you are meant to listen to your brother bishops, to the other participants. You're, you're meant to speak freely, but you're trying to understand what is the Spirit saying to the Church on this particular question in this moment in history. And this happens sort of in in conversations and working together and listening together rather than just relying on, say, like the Pope to, you know, listen to the Spirit and, and make the right decisions and hand them down. 
So we're talking about Sister Natalie as a voting member of the Synod. What is it that she would be voting on? It's basic to understand that the Synod is an advisory body to the Pope. When Paul VI set it up, he also opened the possibility that it could be a decision-making body. But so far, no Pope has actually implemented that aspect of it. But it's an advisory body. But as we've seen with Pope Francis, it is one where he has taken very seriously what the Synod has said. Jerry, I want to spend some time talking about why it's so significant that that Sister Natalie is is able to vote as as a woman in the Synod. You know, back uh, in, oh gosh, I don't even remember which Synod it was. Maybe the young people one. Uh, we did a whole episode on on why women couldn't vote in the Synod. And we went through this whole story of how, you know, previously it had been a question of ordination, right? Only ordained men could vote in the Synod. And then through sort of an accident, maybe not an accident, a lay man, a brother who was head of his religious order was then allowed to vote. And so then the question of voting just became a question of of sex, right? Of gender. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, we've seen for years calls for women to be allowed to vote in the Synod. And, and now that's actually happening. Well, originally, Colleen, you have to understand when the Synod was instituted, it was a instituted as a synod of bishops. Mm-hmm. Even the lay people, even the men and women religious, were excluded from voting. The, the ones who had the vote, the others were, they said, auditors. You, you listened. And then gradually they, they were given a voice in the group work and they were able to express. And in more recent years, we've seen that they've been very active in the group work and slowly, Francis opened the door to uh, one a member of a religious order being able to vote, then gave the, in the last sentence to the representatives of the religious orders. Of men. Of men being able to vote. That's right. And at that point, even the representatives of the religious orders of men said, you know, come, this is discrimination. And so do you see this as as possibly opening the door for more women to vote in the future? I think we may even see that in the in the synod on synodality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it certainly could happen, right? I think it's under consideration. My understanding is that this is under consideration. The, the question is, uh, it goes back deeply into what it was instituted for. It was meant to be an aspect of collegiality, of the relation of bishops of the world with the Bishop of Rome, with the Pope. All right, Jerry. So we will keep our listeners up to date on, you know, everything in preparation for this Synod on Synodality and also the the kind of ongoing uh, expansion of, of leadership roles to, to women in the Church and in the Vatican. Obviously, we're both very interested in that. And so our listeners can count on us to keep up to date on that. Excelente, signore e signori. Ringrazio il decano, Sua Eccellenza, il signor Sor Pulitz, ambasciatore di Cipro, per le cortesi parole e voti augurali che ha espresso a nome di tutti voi. For our last story today, Pope Francis addressed the diplomatic corps, that's the ambassadors from the 183 countries who have diplomatic relations with Vatican City, on Monday. Remember, this had been rescheduled from January when Pope Francis had that sciatica flare-up. Now, usually this talk, which happens at the beginning of every year, is a time for the Pope to lay out some of his concerns for the international sphere, his priorities that he wants to address. Um, 
And in this speech, which was about an hour long, he described seven crises that he thinks that the COVID pandemic has worsened. We're not going to talk about all of them, but we did want to highlight this one, which he kind of said lies at the root of the others, uh, which is a crisis of politics. So, Jerry, do you want to real quick sum up for us? What did he have to say about this crisis of politics? Well, basically what the Pope said, he said... We've got many crises, in the, in, from the environment to the question of the economy, the social, etc., and the, in human relations. He said, but underlying them all, th- th- there is the crisis of politics, because he said we see there's a growing trend in East and West, and he said also in countries with a long a democratic tradition, and obviously the reference was to country, some of the countries in Europe, but also to the United States. He said, we see there's a weakening of the democracy, basically. People are not able to come together and, and find ways of agreeing, finding common ground, finding uh, solutions. Basically, he's saying there's unwillingness to listen to another. Right. And he thinks that this isn't just an inability to listen to each other or work together within a country. He also thinks it's affecting the international sphere, right? He thinks that it hurts multilateralism, these these uh, work between, between states. We've seen this very clearly under the last uh, administration in the United States under President Trump, where it was more bilateral than multilateral. The Vatican has always since the Second World War and also before it, it has always advocated the importance of countries working together, not just one-on-one, but the whole group, the the stronger ones and the weaker ones coming together. This was the point why the United Nations was set up, Mm -hmm. so that there could be a multilateral discussion and multilateral solutions. It's it's a little paralyzed. And the Pope said this pandemic gives an, off, uh, an opportunity to reform the, the international systems. And of course, one of the big blocks in the international system is the, uh, the veto in the U- United Nations Security Council. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the Pope is conscious of the need for what he called the development of a democratic consciousness. Right, right. What does that mean to him? Well, he, he spells out that you have to have a, a way of learning to respect the other person, listen to the other person, but also respect the diversity and not see different positions as anti the state. We see states today, and you can think of China, you can think of Russia, where other positions, contrary to that of the dominant ruling party, are considered as a threat to the state. Francis is saying this is not the case. Mm-hmm. Now, Jerry, in in this talk to the diplomatic court, uh, Pope Francis usually avoids kind of mentioning countries by name. This is sort of a, a diplomatic practice. But in the section on democracy, he actually did address the coup in Myanmar, which which threatened that country's pretty uh, pretty new democracy. What did he have to say about Myanmar? Yeah, but he, he basically said uh, we've seen in in the past week the. Uh, I forget what the exact word is, but but he, he meant the the over the brusque interruption of the fragile path to democracy that had taken shape in this country, because remember the country gained independence I think in nineteen forty eight, for practically more than fifty years it's been under military rule. Right, only since twenty eleven have they had actual elections. Yeah, at the, it began to it began to, but the military even. Up to today, they have a stranglehold on that democracy. 
Right. And we saw last week that the military seized power uh, in Myanmar. They actually uh, arrested Aung San Suu Kyi and other uh, other democratic leaders. And so Francis addressed that in his speech, right? Yes, yes. He, he asked for the release. He said the release of the leaders. And he, he knows Aung San Suu Kyi. She came here to the Vatican, I remember very well. He met her uh, a few times in Myanmar uh, when he visited in 2017, November. And they have a very close relationship. You can see the body language between them. The chemistry is, is very strong. And he he's really admired her and he's tried to support her. And one of the aims of his visit to Myanmar was, in fact, to support the democratic thing. And so his comment yesterday when he called for the release of the prisoners, he said, this would could be a signal of a willingness to have sincere dialogue mm-hmm. because as Cardinal Bo, the the Archbishop of Yangon and the now the president of the Bishops' Conference said, he, he says, what's happened here is we've had a breakdown in dialogue between the democratic leadership and the military. And of course, it's very difficult to, uh, to, uh, to do the dialogue because when they keep the control and they have close links to China too. And we should say that that now there are these big uh, pro-democracy protests, mostly students, uh, happening in Yangon, which is the, the largest city. So if our listeners want to read Jerry's full article on the Pope's address to the diplomatic corps, you can find that linked in the show notes and at americamagazine.org. We'll also link to the full text of the Pope's address if you want to read it that way. And uh, if you're interested, the U.S. is actually still awaiting the appointment of its new ambassador to the Holy See. President Biden still has to pick a new ambassador. And so... If you're wondering what the Biden administration will need to keep in mind when they're choosing a new ambassador, America has this fascinating article up now by former ambassador to the Holy See, Ken Hackett. And so I'll link to that in the show notes, too. I thought it was a really interesting inside look at at how that decision is made. All right, Jerry, I appreciate the chance to get to talk uh, through these stories with you. Thanks. Thanks for uh, being flexible with the recording day, too. Thank you, Colleen. It's always good to... this. No lack of subjects to discuss, Colleen, that's for sure. (laughs) Never a dull moment with us. (laughs) All right. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from the Jesuit Curia in Rome and from Kevin Christopher Robles. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also send us your comments and questions at insidethevatican at americamagazine.org. And if you want to support our show, the best way to do that is by subscribing to America Magazine. You can do that at americamag.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media, I'm Colleen Deli with Gerard O'Connell. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.